1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money Starts Now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. Call me, 1 800 743 CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. A few years ago, if I told you, that a drone raid was about to take out half of Saudi Arabia's production and our stock market would barely blink, you would have called me absolutely crazy.
2: <laughs>
1: Yet that's exactly what just happened with the Dow slipping just 143 points. The s declining 031 percent. The Nasdaq backsliding a meager 0.28 percent. Even though the price of crude spiked more than 10%, gigantic, gigantic gain. How the heck is that even possible? How could we have so many stocks that actually rallied on the news? Simple. We're a changed country. We have so much oil in this country, and we have a lot of stocks that now do better with higher oil prices. And, as well, we have a lot of stocks that thrive if higher oil causes the economy to slow. The United States of today looks a lot different from the United States of even 10 years ago. First, let's understand. It looks like Iran launched drone strikes that wiped out a huge chunk of Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure, another biggest exporter of petroleum in the world. That sent the price of crude, soaring, the biggest gain in 11 years, and higher oil translates into higher gasoline, which means consumers have less money to spend or or just going out to shop. So we had a big sell from retail. Make perfect sense, especially since they've had a humongous run and we were looking for a reason to take profits. Remember last week I told you that my proprietary oscillator that's put out by Standard & Poor's, the one I pay for, well, that it was too high at at plus eight. Anything north of five means that you should be doing some sell, 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 sell. And that made this market vulnerable. I said that meant we were due for a sell-off, even if I couldn't tell you the reason why that sell-off might happen. Remember, I did two shows on it. This oil shock is exactly the kind of -of out-of-left-field incident I was talking about. And it caused a lot of carnage, even if it wasn't obvious from the averages. Beyond retail, uh, which did indeed get pummeled, Except for the value place like uh, Macy's, uh, at Nordstrom, the big packaged good stocks just got slammed. I want you to think Clorox, Procter and Gamble, Estee Lauder. They're all regarded as having a big reliance on plastic for their packaging. Plastic is made from oil, and they've also got substantial freight costs. Again, those go higher with oil. But but Procter's been a monster stock. I mean, Estee Lauder's been incredible. Again. All you got was profit-taking. Naturally, the airlines got hit too. American, United, and Delta all posted outsized losses. So there were real areas of weakness, but the truth is this market held up incredibly well. In the old days, the averages would have plunged on this kind of oil shock. I know because I've lived through a bunch of them starting in 1973. We'd be freaking out about surging inflation and gas lines and a huge decline in consumer spending. Now, though, Saudi Arabia losing half of its output is just not a big deal. Remember, the United States has gone from producing 5 million barrels of oil per day, gigantic importer, to uh, 12 million barrels per day. And we do a lot of exporting. Over the same period, we put policies in place that make our nation a lot more energy efficient. Who needs Saudi Arabia? If you listen to Scott Sheffield when he came here not that long ago, he's the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources, and by the way, the dean of the oil patch, he said it won't be long until we're producing 17 million barrels a day. That's astounding. If the Saudis can't pump, they simply get, just gives American producers a much-needed spike in profits, allowing them to pay down debt and take control of their finances. But in the end, though, our producers are going to sow the seeds of their own destruction. Destruction. Remember when Randy Brazil from RBN.com came on here and said that, that they keep spending and they just hurt themselves? Because whenever the price of crude goes up, they just start drilling again, and the new supply pushes prices right back down. There are only three things that keep a lid on American oil production currently. First, we don't yet have enough pipelines in the Permian Basin. There are two about to open. That's the incredibly cheap oil-rich region in Texas. Second, we don't have enough big ports to handle those gigantic tankers that can hold 2 million barrels. And third, until the recent rollback, the government didn't allow excessive flaring, meaning that burning off of natural gas byproducts that comes when you drill for oil because it's terrible for the environment. Before today's spike, natural gas was so cheap that it wasn't even worth keeping. If you couldn't flare it off, it was an impediment to drilling oil. I don't expect anything but a short-term reprieve here on any of these issues, although some oil companies have started taking advantage of the pro-flaring position the president has staked out recently. However, most of the larger producers are reluctant to embrace the new rules because they don't want to ruin natural gas's reputation as cleaner fuel than coal. Remember, it's taking a lot of share from coal with the utilities. Either way, when the price of crude soars, the oil stocks soar with it. Today, they were up so much that they buoyed the entire S&P 500. Rallying and Exxon and Chevron helped prop up the Dow. Without them, we would have been a lot lower. That said, my chapel trust was is a big seller of the oils today. I don't think this move is sustainable. Obviously, we left some, but time to go. These millennial money managers, they don't want to own any of these oil stocks. Now, I want to take another whole approach to the situation. Consider what the spike of oil means for, not us, but for our trade war partner, China. The People's Republic has a lot going for it economically. Hey, say what you will about the Chinese Communist Party. They did create 40 million jobs in a relatively short period of time, even though a lot of it was taking jobs from us. But there's one thing that they don't have. Natural resources. For China, any disruption in the oil supply is very bad news. Their government has slapped tariffs on U.S. oil, but you know what, they're still using about a million barrels a day that originates in our borders, oil's international commodity. And now the price of crude has surged, making a real slowdown there, far more likely. Beyond the oils, what else rallied today? Let's say we saw strength in the secular growth stocks that don't need a strong global economy to make their numbers. Think the cloud kings like ServiceNow, Workday, VMware, Adobe. That's an amazing sign of resilience in itself. And if you stay tuned, I will tell you which ones are still worth snapping up. Buy, 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 buy. Not long ago, the cloud stocks were getting hammered. Now they're benefiting from fresh rotation out of the consumer packaged goods stocks into the stocks of companies that are unaffected by oil that can still grow. That's why I think it's entirely possible that we could shrug off this news. Maybe the next thing you know, the Saudi oil facilities will be back online. However, it is also possible that we have a brand new world of worry, and I'm talking about. Those 10 drones used to smash Saudi Arabia's infrastructure They demonstrate a serious vulnerability for the Saudis and really any country. If you want to stop these drone attacks, you need have vastly expanded radar, something that's great for Lockheed Martin, Raytheon and L3 Harris technologies. Of these, L3 Harris is my favorite, but I don't like to chase a stock that's up more than six bucks in a single session. Honestly, I think the military side of things is the most worrisome here, especially as the president tweeted that we are, and I quote, locked and loaded, ready to retaliate, presumably against Iran. The moment the Saudis check off on him, we really don't need a war with Iran right now. But who knows what that tweet, what that tweet even means. And by the way, just, you know, if you could have solar powered drones, well, think about it. It could go the world over. That's a worry. I'm worried about it. The bottom line. I know this stock market's resilience could melt if the White House decides to make an all-out strike against Iran. But, man, i got to tell you, it's amazing how the average has pretty much shrugged off such a major decline, something that would have been totally impossible to even think about a decade ago. And that's worth keeping in mind. You know what? I'm calling today a victory for the Bulls. Patty in Florida, Patty.
3: Hi Jim, thanks for taking my call and of thanks course. for all that you do for us. My Hi. question is about Okta. I bought it at one fifteen and I'm in the house of pain. So I want to know what your opinion is on the price drop and where do you see it going?
1: Okay, I think Okta is just a terrific company. I think that you have to take a long the same long term view that management does. It is really yes, they've rotated out of these stocks. I have total faith in Todd McKinnon. You Todd appeared. On a squawk box the other day, besides besides from hurting my feelings, I think he did a very good job. But maybe his stock would rub if he had appeared on Mad Money. I think you're fine. Evan in California. Evan.
2: Hey, Kramer. I'm a proud American living in the United States of America. My question is about the stock ticker CYBR cyber arc. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you said it was a great buy, but it's actually gone down a bit, about 15%. I was wondering if you're considering this maybe even a better buy now, or uh, should we wait uh, I do,
1: Evan. I mean, remember, I've liked Cybrox since the 30s, so I can't be a trader. I can't say, you know, at 140, I hate it. At 110, I like it. At 101, I hate it. I mean, to me, Cybrox, the same Cybrox, they had a great quarter, and I, uh, even though the chart looks bad and people dumping all over it, it's good. I mean, if I were starting a position in in uh, CyberArk, I'd start it right here. Okay, let's go to Chris in Wisconsin. Chris. Jim, booyah. Booyah, Chris. Hey, Jim. Uh, I'd like to
2: hear your thoughts on the stock camping world. It's been getting hit, and hit hard recently, and curious to hear your thoughts, and also if you've made any progress on getting Marcus Lemonis on the show.
1: Well, Marcus has been on— um, The quarter wasn't that good. It started snapping back last week, but it it, it just isn't doing that well. And I think that Marcus Lamones is a friend of the show, but the the company hasn't been doing that well. And I think that's fair. Look, neither is Thor. The camping world business, so to speak, is not doing that well. And a lot of that may be interest rates, uh, but a lot of it just may be that they're out of favor. Okay. How the heck did we not tank in the wake of the Saudi Arabia oil tax? You know how? Because we are not the old United States. Victory for the Bulls. money tonight, the Cloud Group has taken a beating over the past few months. But which stocks the group could see their forecast clearing up? And which must be avoided. Sell, 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 sell. I'm giving you my take. Then this year has seen a slew of IPOs in the tech space, but as Cloudflare stands out, I'm eyeing the newly minted company that just came public. And it's a company that's hoping to usher in a brand new gold rush. Don't miss my sit down with an alpha called Paxos to find out about its move to offer physical gold on the blockchain. And stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
3: constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Over the past month and a half, we've seen what happens when the most alluring group in the Wall Street fashion show suddenly goes out of style. I'm talking about the high-flying cloud-based software stocks that have just been slaughtered in recent weeks. Some of these names have been hit harder than others. Zscaler was well over 100% for the year at its highs. Now it's up 21% for the year. The Cloud Kings, Adobe, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Splunk, Twilio, VMware, and Workday, they're down on average 18% from their highs. Of those, only Adobe and Salesforce. Have shed less than 10 percent now i love many of these software service companies you know that but this is why i tell you that you have to take some profits some schnitzel i call it in your biggest winners while you still have them momentum stocks can go from heroes to zeros practically overnight especially because they all tend to trade together many are banded together by silly etfs that should never have been crafted as i told you before i think there are two things going on here first many of these cloud stocks simply got way too expensive that's why I kept telling you to let them pull back before you pull the trigger. Second, this market got hit with a powerful rotation. As money managers started feeling more bullish about the economy, they sold the cloud stocks and they swapped into more cyclical names that can deliver gigantic earnings speeds when commerce is strong. The cloud core can deliver great numbers even during a slowdown. Hey, but if there's not going to be a slowdown, that makes their stocks less attractive in the eyes of Wall Street. Hence, the hideous multi-week breakdown, many of which stocks you've commented on in Twitter. I know you're depressed by it, but here, maybe we can shed some light on it. Which brings me to the big question. Now that this group has been bludgeoned half to death, what are we supposed to do? You've got to remember, with a few exceptions, the fundamentals really haven't changed at all. Our favorite cloud companies are still putting up excellent numbers. The markets just starting to judge these numbers through a much more punishing prism which means we need to be more selective. So tonight we're helping you figure out which cloud stocks to double down on to weakness this and which ones, well, maybe you got to cut loose some of. We know this coal group has gotten a lot cheaper over the past six weeks, but we need a way to distinguish between the high-quality names that have been dragged down by the rotation and the lower-quality names that never should have been up in the first place. When you make these kinds of decisions, you need to be ruthlessly logical not emotional. I always tell you to check the emotions at the door. We're in triage mode right now, and that means we need to be as objective as possible. That's why we put together a simple screener for the software-as-a-service docs. We're going to run our whole cloud universe uh, through, through these two filters. One is for fundamentals, and one is for valuation. Anything that passes both filters, well, then you got my blessing to buy down here after the big sell-off. Basically, we're doing a quick and dirty analysis of the cloud stocks to separate the wheat from the chaff, and this is done by real portfolio managers every single day. I want to teach you how to do it at home. It's a quick and dirty rule of thumb that Wall Street's been using to assess the enterprise software stocks for ages. You know what it's called? And I've only heard it once among our guests. It's called the Rule of 40, and it's quite simple. If you're running a software as a service company, the rule of 40, here it is, the rule of 40, says that your revenue growth plus your profit margin should be greater than 40%. If it's below 40, you're in trouble. Again, we're in triage mode here. We want a simple rule that tells us which of these cloud stocks need to be eliminated from our portfolios. I like this rule of 40 because it recognizes that there are two ways to win. The healthiest cloud stocks are either growing very rapidly and losing money or their growth is slowing. But they've got increasingly strong earnings. If a company has, say, a 30 percent revenue growth and a 20 percent profit margin, it passes the test. If it's got 70 percent revenue growth and a negative 20 percent profit margin, that also passes. However, if you're only growing at a 50 percent clip and you've got a negative 15 percent margin, well, wait a second, that's 35 percent combined. It falls below our rule of forty threshold. Like I said, it's a quick, and, it's a quick and dirty way to look at things. But this is how venture capital firms, and hedge funds, and companies themselves like to assess the trade-off between growth and profitability that we talk about every night here. Now let's put it into practice. Revenue growth is straightforward. Remember, that's just the sales line. But there are a lot of ways you can measure margins. Some more generous than others. Because we want to keep it simple, we're using the adjusted earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, or EBITDA margin. So who passes and who fails? All seven Cloud Kings pass, mostly with flying colors. Twilio. You know, what, how much should we like Twilio. Twilio is the highest scores. The company is expected to grow at a 72 percent clip this year, further bolstered by a 10 percent EBITDA. So this is our winner. OK. Really terrific. Adobe comes in second with only a 24 percent growth rate because it's much more profitable with a 44 percent EBITDA margin reports this week. I think it could be very, very good. Uh, And uh, it's Thursday, just so you know. Now, after the cloud Kings, the quality really starts to drop off. Our cloud princess, Atlassian, Kupa Software, HubSpot, New Relic, ouch, Uh, Okta, they don't fare as well. Uh, Neither New Relic nor Okta makes the cut. Even before New Relic gave a disappointing forecast this morning, their slowing growth was a problem. Okta, on the other hand, is growing at a 41% clip but its negative 9% EBITDA margin drags it down, so it doesn't deserve the praise, at least on this method. Hey, how about the rest of the cloud stocks? We've talked about Paycom, Viva Systems, Alteryx. We had them on last week. Ring Central, Zendesk, we've had them on. Five, nine. we've had Zscaler, MongoDB, Smartsheet, and a plan. we have Appium. Less than half of them make the cut using this year's uh, analyst estimates. Paycom, Viva, Alteryx. RingCentral and Zendesk pass five nine and Cisco would pass on last year's numbers, but they fall a little short on this year's estimates. Call out a pass too. Everything else, we're cutting. Hey, what about the cloud IPOs from the class of 2019? you got Zoom Video, CrowdStrike, Dynatrace, Slack Technologies, PagerDuty, Freeza, Twofin Software, and CloudFare. We looked at 32 stocks for this analysis, and Zoom video has the best score. Uh, Zoom, uh, which helps explain why it's been such a great performer. We had them on last week, right? Even though it's pulled back of late. CrowdStrike passes. Dynatrace failed last year, but it passes on this year's forecast thanks to Accelerating Revenue Growth, or ARG. Everything else must go. Which brings us to the second screen, valuation. Again, we want to keep this simple. So I'm I'm failing anything that trades at more than 10 times sales unless we can come up with a very good excuse. 10 times sales, by the way, very expensive as it is. Looking at the Cloud Kings, Adobe and ServiceNow are both over the line at 10.4 and 11 times next year's earnings, uh, next year's sales. And, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, I don't know if you saw it, but we saw some big moves in all of these stocks. But ServiceNow had the biggest. But you know what? Hmm, not cheap. I'm going to give Adobe a pass because it's so profitable, it sells for less than 30 times a year's earnings estimates, and that's fine by me. I like ServiceNow, but there are no extenuating circumstances this year. It trades at 61 times earnings. It's not going to make it. Twilio is a borderline case. It's trading right at 10 times earnings, but given its fabulous rule of 40 square, I say we let it stay in this group. As for the cloud princes of the, remain, the remaining names, both Atlassian and Coupa Software both trade at well more than 15 times sales. That leaves HubSpot as the only prince who passes both tests. HubSpot. Wow. Okay, how about the cloud commoners? Only five, nine, Ring central and Zendesk trade at less than ten times next year's sales. So we've got to be careful with the rest of them. Finally, you've got remaining uh, the IPOs, CrowdStrike, Zoom Video, and Dynatrace. But CrowdStrike and Zoom are still ultra expensive, trading at more than twenty times next year's sales. I don't feel comfortable that, recommending that to you at this environment. Bottom line: when you try to be objective about the cloud stocks, the ones that, that you want to keep are Adobe, Salesforce, Splunk. Twilio, VMware, Workday, HubSpot, 5.9, RingCentral, Zendesk, and Dynatrace. Everything else, what can I say? You need to be a lot more cautious, perhaps more subjective, and that's not the best way to invest. Hey, got your list. Stay with Kramer.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric,
3: You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
1: Now that the dust has settled on the turmoil in the cloud space, with many of these stocks bouncing today, I'm going to circle back to the group. Earlier in the show, I gave you my triage analysis of all the cloud names we cover, which ones you can double down on, which ones seem a little risky to me. And now I want to come back to another software company as a service, one that you've asked me over and over again since it came public last Friday. I got this whole weekend Cloudflare. All right, Cloudflare is a cloud-based web infrastructure play, and it managed to rack up a decent IPO price at 15 then surging to 18 at the open, and staying there before climbing another 3.5% today. It's a strong stock. So could this fresh-faced cloud stock be worth owning? I think we need to be very careful here about approaching new names, frankly. If, Cloudline, if Cloudflare had come public, say, just six months ago, when the cloud stocks were red-hot, and there seemed to be no price investors wouldn't pay for these things, then maybe I would have felt a little more comfortable about recommending it. But lately, this market's gotten a lot less hospitable to the cloud core. Today's rebound accepted. In the current environment, I think you need to steer clear of something like Cloudflare, and I know a lot of them, you like it. Don't get me wrong, the company has an intriguing concept. Cloudflare's platform basically helps businesses run their websites, making them more secure, enhancing their performance, and eliminating the cost and complexity of managing lots of individual pieces of hardware. In the old days, you get all these services from separate on-premises software providers. Cloudflare bundles them all together into one easy-to-use platform that seamlessly allows you to adopt additional solutions, and that is so important. As the company sees it, they're disrupting multiple large enterprise software markets with their bundled approach. They're going after virtual private networks, VPNs, internal and external firewalls, web security, distributed denial of service prevention, intrusion, detection, application delivery controls, content delivery networks, domain name systems, advanced web prevent, and... Wide area networking. Think of Cloudflare as a one-stop shop that's going after uh, parts of the cybersecurity and content delivery software industries. Put it all together, management argues that they've got a 31.6 billion dollar total addressable market, or TAM, that's growing to 47 billion by 2022, and that's without counting the new areas Cloudflare is trying to expand into, like storage, 5G, the Internet of Things. I mean. This- What can I say? It does feel like it's got everything going for it. Now, they don't sell user data. They don't try to compete with their customers. They just give them a simple, easy-to-use platform that can work with any major public cloud vendor. Cloudflare's neutral, like Switzerland. In fact, some would say they're a little too neutral. Last month, as the company was preparing for its IPO, they caught a lot of flack for providing infrastructure and security services for some of the ugliest destinations on the web, including the site where a number of recent mass shooters were radicalized. Cloudflare dropped them as a client right after the El Paso shooting. Uh, but this wasn't the first time they'd gotten in trouble for doing business with the most hated parts of and hateful parts of the web. So when I say they're neutralized Switzerland, I mean that in both the positive and negative census. That concept works for me, but what about the financials? Okay, Cloudflare posted 43% sales growth last year. That's a deceleration from 2017. Although in the first half of this year, that number reaccelerated to 48%. That's not bad. How about the margins? There's some noise here. We'd like to see a smooth trend, but instead, Cloudflare had a huge across-the-board improvement in 2017. Better gross margin, better operating margin, better free cash flow margin, followed by some major deterioration last year. In the first half of 2019, the margins have improved modestly, so they seem to be back on the right track for the moment. The other thing that's tough to get a read on here, Cloudflare's free cash flow, which appears to be going in the wrong direction. (laughs) After falling from negative 20 million to negative 78 million last year, it worsened again down 39 million in the first half of this year. And that's a decline versus the first half of 2018. That's bad. That said, there are some real positives. Cloudflare's paying customers grew by 38% last year and 33% so far this year. Solid. Better still, the number of customers paying them more than $100,000 a year has been going much faster. I'm 70% in the first half. Makes sense. Part of Cloudflare's pitch is that they can easily scale up their business. So if customers want to spend more, it's extremely easy for the company to give them exactly what they need. But there's the problem. When you compare Cloudflare to the rest of the group, it does indeed come up short. Remember that rule of 40 that I talked about? I mentioned it earlier in the show. The idea here is that if you're a -a software-as-a-service company, your revenue growth plus your profit margin should exceed 40%. Anything below that threshold is suspect. The Rule of 40 gives you two ways to win. You can lose a lot of money as long as you have rapid revenue growth, or you can have slow revenue growth as long as you're making, making a lot of money. But you can't pass with middling growth and not so hot margins. I've already told you about the uh, companies that pass this test, but Cloudflare, it ain't one of them. The company's growing at a 48% clip, but its operating margin is negative 27%. Add those two together and you get 21%. When you look at all the cloud stocks that have come public this year, Cloudflare actually has the worst rule of 40 score. In short, Cloudflare may have a solid concept. But in terms of its financials, it lags behind the rest of the cohort. Now, that would be fine if the stock had a sensible valuation. But, geez, I mean, Clever sells for for 28 times last year's sales. Even if we assume it will keep growing at roughly the same pace, that means it's trading at 15 times next year's back-of-the-envelope sales forecast. That makes a pretty darn expensive stock. All of our Cloud Kings are cheaper. Salesforce, Adobe, VMware, Workday, Twilio, Splunk, and ServiceNow. So I can't recommend Cloudflare up here. Bottom line, if you got on, got in on this Cloudflare IPO and made a nice profit, take it. Good for you. I hope these guys can deliver spectacular numbers going forward that justify the stock's stratospheric valuation. Yes, parabola. But based on cloud inconsistent results over the past 18 months, the stock's just too risky for me, especially in a market that no longer worships at the altar of the cloud. Let's go to Jackie in New York. Jackie! Hey,
2: Jim. Thank you for your recommendation of Verizon and Twillow. They both made me over 10%.
1: Oh, that's nice. Thank you.
2: Well, listen, the question tonight is so Chewy. So I got in on IPO day at $38. That stock has been trading down ever since. Yeah. With earnings coming out post-market tomorrow, do you think I should cut my loss or wait for earnings to rescue the stock?
1: Well, I mean, look, we, we think that Chewy is a great concept, okay? And so, therefore, you don't want to trade in and out and flit And when it comes to Chewy. Do I know if this quarter is going to be good or bad? I have no idea. But I do like the concept very much. Let's go to Jerry in Illinois. Jerry. Hey Jim Booyah. Booyah, Jerry.
2: As a former Marine, we say hoorah, so hoorah to you and your team for a fine show and dedication to the small investor.
1: Well thank you, and thank you for serving.
2: Thank you very much. Great. Great Jim. But Jim, in early August you recommended Health Catalyst. Right. You recently launched an MPO. excuse me, IPO. So you're very high on their strategic plan to provide a complex analytics to the healthcare industry, which sounded very promising to me as well. So after doing some of my own research and after the stock dropped nine percent from its high of forty nine forty nine dollars, I took a minimal position of forty five ten. Okay. But early in August the stock dropped thirty to thirty three dollars right. from twenty seven about a twenty seven percent decline. Since then, it's moved back up to about $37 today. But it still is off 18% from my entry. Right. So, Jim, what's your recommendation? Okay, Jerry, look, Catalyst? I think
1: this is a really good company. I think these stocks really got hammered, all of them. It's just like a giant group move. But that said, I think I'm reiterating that I think Health Catalyst is a terrific company. I think you'll do just fine. No need to buy any more unless it breaks that low that it hit of $32 this is the $37. Now, if you made some money on on Cloudflare, I say good for you. But these guys are just too inconsistent for my liking. There's much more mad money ahead. Looking for an easy way to access the $9 trillion gold market? I'm talking to an under the radar company that's hoping to help. Then, there are two deals staring us in the face, and they are worrisome to the entire market. I'll point them out. I'll tell you how to approach them. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
4: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE.
1: What is this? What on the podcast? I was, pod? was David, for you, not David, for you. We have a podcast. When you do this, it, the podcast is thinking: Is he doing it thumbs was, up? Is it he was doing being, thumbs down? I was just being yeah. without oh, a fun Monday morning thing.
4: It all starts at nine a.m. Eastern.
1: An unnerving weekend where somebody bombed Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure, setting the price of crude soaring, knocking down the averages. Begin to appreciate the value of having some gold in your portfolio. I've been pushing for precious metals for months now as insurance against economic chaos. Hey, it's soared from $1,300 at the beginning of the year to just under $1,500 right now. Regular viewers know I like Barrick Gold and Nico Equal Mines or the GLD, and that's an ETF that mirrors the action of the physical commodity. But tonight I've got a new, more modern way to play it. I'm talking about a privately held company called Paxos that holds and safeguards both physical and digital assets. Paxos has created a product called Pax Gold, which is a tokenized version of the precious metal, digital asset that represents real physical gold held in a secure location, but with all the portability of a digital wallet. Normally I'm pretty skeptical of the world of cryptocurrencies and digital assets, but Paxos seems to be going about this the right way. They're enlisting the most legitimate vendors to take custody of their physical gold, and price of that gold is the, ba- it's the basis for the token's value. It's not like cryptocurrency that trades on sentiment. So let's take a closer look with Charles Cascarilla. He's the co-founder and CEO of Paxos. Get a better sense of how this whole thing works. Mr. Cascarilla, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, good, good to see you. Good to see you, sir. How are you? Have going? a seat. Thank hey, you so much. All right, so I tell people to buy gold stocks. I tell people to buy the GLD. Why is your method uh, versus, say, the GLD, let's say— uh, may be more true to the price of gold.
5: Yeah, so it's really important to realize uh, with gold, and really almost any commodity, that either you can make it really tradable or you can own the underlying. Right. But it's hard to have both. So futures, gold ETFs, you're not actually owning the underlying gold. And um, uh, that's not a problem, it's liquid, it's tradable. But at the same time, if you want to have the real thing, you're going to have to go bury it in your backyard. And then when it comes time to unbury it because you want to spend it, you don't know if that's real gold. So we've tried to solve that problem, square that fundamental contradiction. So PAX Gold is really unique. One token equals one ounce of gold, and it relates to a bar in Brinks in London, all the way down to the serial number. So you actually have real gold. You're able to move around just like the GLD or the uh, futures market, but yet you have the underlying actual asset.
1: Well, how do you guys make money?
5: Well, we make money, and actually we don't make money from custody fees. So actually, that's really cool. There's no minimum to buy it. You can uh, hold it with us. We make it when you buy and you sell. Okay, because that's important. People, uh, I was with someone at my high school reunion this weekend who buried it in uh,
1: this backyard, said, look, you know, that's the safest place. I said, well, wait a second. Someone could steal that. They might see where it is. But I said, why not a safety deposit box? This is less expensive than a safety
5: deposit box. Yeah, exactly. So we have a really great rate with Brinks. It's really credible vault. Everyone's heard of Brinks, but there's only six vaults in London that you store gold in. And 80% of the gold in the world trades in the London spot market. So this is institutional-grade vault that everyone in the institutional world uses, and it's open to retail. So that's really cool. We tried to build it so that's institutional-grade but available for retail and available for institutions. Uh, so
1: yeah. let's say uh, I know that I tried to buy some gold, and uh, it's a lot per... Per ounce, and a lot of people balk at that. What's the small amount that you can buy if we use Paxos?
5: Yeah, so we, we go down to um, really there's no minimum, but we recommend that you buy like a tenth of an ounce. Okay. Right, so that's basically, you know, $150 minimum at the day's prices, and so anyone can get in and buy. Right, now, haven't been others have tried this and failed? Yeah, I mean, I think what's really unique about Paxos is that we're a trust company, so we're regulated just like a bank. And the reason that's important is you're not just trusting us because we say you should. We're trusting us because we're regulated, we have oversight. And so, unlike anyone else, this actual token itself is regulated, it was approved by the New York Department of Financial Services, which is the banking regulator in New York. So, you're not just trusting us, we have regulatory oversight, we have an independent board. Deloitte & Touche is our auditor. We try to tick all the boxes. So this isn't just uh, something that's safe for retail. It's safe for institutions, too. Okay, so uh, we hear the terms crypto and blockchain, yeah. and we start thinking, well, wait a second. That was like something
1: that got everyone excited, and then people lost money on crypto. What is crypto
5: and blockchain when it comes to Paxos? Yeah, I mean, I think it, if you think about blockchain, it's, everyone talks about it breathlessly. It's right. like this, you know, soup du jour topic. But it's really just a database. And so when we say, hey, we put uh, uh, gold on a blockchain, what we do is we put it on a distributed database. And the beauty of a distributed database is anybody can access it. So you're not reliant on Paxos or anyone else to be able to uh, move your gold around. Once you're on the blockchain, you can send it to anybody else who's on that same blockchain with you. And that's what we're trying to do is use the power of 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 a database upgrade, if you will as opposed to crypto, which is a little bit different. I like right. it too, but it's a completely different thing altogether okay. because you're just owning the database.
1: Okay, so let's say um, uh, Jamie Diamond. I'm watching the show and I say, you know that guy Cascarillo, he's got a real good idea. I'm going to go do Paxos. I'm going to do the same thing. What's keeping
5: someone else from doing what you're doing? Well, Really, there's nothing, there's no reason anyone else couldn't go do it. It's just a question of can you do it, meaning do you have the engineers, do you have the technology, have you uh, thought about how to create innovative products, and so anybody can do that, but I think what's native about Paxos is, one, we're a trust company, so a regulated bank, but two, you know, half our company is product engineering. We're really um, a technology firm at heart, and so we're trying to give you the confidence of a bank, but the innovation of Silicon Valley, and that's just different from, I think, most institutions that are in the banking world today.
1: Well, look, I'm pro-gold. There's another way to buy gold. People should think about it and stop worrying that it's over $1,400. That's what everyone says. Man, I can't. It's too expensive. Here's another way to play it. That's right. That's Charles Cascarillas, the CEO of Paxos. It's a privately traded company, but obviously you can buy gold in what I think is a very secure way. They have money back here to the break. It is time. And then the light runs over. Are you ready, Steve? Thanks. Over the lightning round, good start with Bob in California. Bob. Hi, Jim from sunny Hermosa Beach, California. How you doing? I love Hermosa Beach. Hit me,
2: Jim. Two weeks ago, Ulta Beauty had disappointing earnings, and the stock fell over one hundred dollars a share. Since then, it has lost another $10 a share. Is it safe to buy it
1: now? Well, see, Bob, the problem was that that analyst, that uh, call had a lot of analysts very angry. And a lot of people giving up on the company. I have not. I think it's within 10% of a bottom. I've been wanting to wait. I wanted to wait until we see the next quarter, but I'm okay with it. Count another 20 points and I'm fine with it. It's going to bill in Florida. Bill! Hey, Jim, this is Bill from St. Augustine, Florida. All How right, are Bill, you? Oldest city around. What's going on? Hey, I, I've got a question about DVA. Davida, yeah. one, lar- one of the largest uh, dialysis providers mm-hmm. in the United States. And Zach's got a strong buy on him. However, they're down from their 52-week high. However, today they were up a point and a quarter. Right. What's your impression about Debita? I think it's a very, very good company. You know, it is it's down a lot from its high, but it's profitable. It's not expensive. I'm going to say bye to Debita. Tyler in Texas. Tyler. Big Booyah Jim Kramer from Houston, Texas. How you doing, buddy? All right. How about you? I'm doing well. So, I'm
2: on my way to work this morning. I stopped off at of McDonald's to get me a McGriddle. I saw that we're about 6% off of those all-time highs back in August. I just want to know,
1: what are you thinking about it? I say buy. I think Eastern has got bye, bye, game bye. was down a little bit last week on an accounting issue that wasn't really bad, and now people are saying it doesn't do well in a higher gasoline environment. That's crazy. It's exactly where you go. I think you buy McDonald's. How about Matt in Texas? Matt.
2: Big Booyah, Jim. Wow, how from, about Matt uh, All right. Hey, uh, what do you think about the uh, company, uh, Krupa Software? C-O-G-S? They were around
1: town a couple weeks, and boy, did they tell a great story. I'm oh, going to reiterate, that. Oh, oh, oh. well, that's an expensive stock. It is a good one. How about we go to Joe in New Jersey?
2: Joe! Hello, Kramer. Hey. Always a pleasure and an honor to talk to oh, you. Oh,
1: thank you, Joe. What's going
2: on? You
1: recommended Valley National Bank about two years ago. Yes. Do you still own it? Should I stop and- No, hold on. Dude. It's got a 4% yield. I know it's not doing much, but I'll tell you, when the curve gets back again, you're going to feel good. about. It. It's a very well-run bank, and I like it. Uh, okay, let's go to Jean-Pierre. And jo- uh, in Jean-Pierre.
2: Hi, Mr. Kramer. First-time yes. caller. one okay. time fan. Big booyah from me and my two good friends, Poto and Cody G. I like them all. What do you think about Cleveland Cliffs?
1: Uh, Too risky here in a worldwide slowdown. I do not want to go to Cleveland Cliffs. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD
1: Ameritrade. Sometimes I wish there was such a thing as a buyer's strike. I wish we could reach a point of revulsion with IPOs where the underwriters just say, sorry, we aren't going to do this deal. Sadly, that almost never happens because there's just too much money involved to say, no, the fees are too great. Right now, we're staring down the barrel of two hideous deals that could be damaging to the entire market. The first, WeWork, or the We Company, or whatever they're calling themselves right now. Here's a company that is quite simply desperate for money. They can raise $3 billion in the IPO. They could also perhaps score a $6 billion loan. WeWork needs all the cash they can get because they are losing money hand over fist. Unfortunately, this is one of those deals that, let's just say, raises eyebrows. The corporate government stinks to high ebb with some truly outrageous examples of self-dealing. The most egregious, the flamboyant CEO Adam Newman, who's actually quite fun, to be honest, got WeWork to pay $5.9 million in stock to a partnership heat control in exchange for the trademark to the new name the Wee Company. I can't believe the chutzpah here. We Work was a great name. He changed it to something much worse. The Wee Company sounds like it was coined by a five-year-old for heaven's sake and found a way to profit from it on the side. Fortunately, Newman returned the compensation, but that kind of behavior really makes me wonder about the leadership style. There are words to describe this kind of thing. I just can't say them on basic cable. Worse, earlier this summer, the Wall Street Journal reported that Newman had already cashed out at least $700 million by selling his shares or borrowing against them. Can you believe this guy? I like CEOs who hold their stocks both, both after the IPO as the 12 months and maybe even buy some. I don't even know what to say about a CEO who sells stock before the IPO. Good word. Even WeWork's financials seem kind of crazed. Numbers are supposed to be straightforward, but they're using bizarre metrics like adjusted earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and growth investments. Huh? It's a real estate company, for heaven's sake. If they're growing that fast, and they are, how can that be included as operating expenses? No wonder WeWork, the ultimate unicorn, a company that got a $47 billion valuation this last round of private fi- fundraising, is now talking about doing a $10 to $12 billion valuation for the IPO. Incredibly, the company is trying to fix some of these corporate governance issues on the fly. And the company has fabulous revenue growth. I will give it that. So it could be attracted to the real growth hounds out there. (laughs) However, I don't really care about WeWork itself. What bothers me is the investment bankers trying to jam this deal down the market's throat. And it feels like the mutual funds, hedge funds, and the individual investors are helpless to stop it. That's a problem. WeWork could hurt the entire market if it bombs. (laughs) What about the other potentially damaging IPO, Saudi Aramco? The Saudis have expressed an interest in floating shares of the national oil company in what would be the largest initial public offering ever. After the begins of tax. I can't think of a worse opportunity. I'd expect a valuation in excess of a trillion dollars. That's what they're talking about, which would flood the market with new stock, even if only a, they floated a sliver of it. Uh, that's not what we need right now. But the best we can hope for is a postponement. At the end of the day, if you want the averages to go higher, Then it would be great if the investment bankers would just stop doing these crummy deals. Of course, that won't happen because they don't want to give up their underwriting fees. Greed. If they're going to do these unattractive deals, I hope they at least price them at low levels enough to make the stocks enticing, don't hurt the market. But even that won't happen unless the big accounts pass on either piece of merchandise. Look, every bit of merchandise out there has a level where it's worth buying. I just think the levels for WeWork and Saudi Ramco actually are much lower than either company would like. So we're unlikely to get reasonable prices for the buyers. If these deals aren't priced at cheap levels, I expect the market to get hammered on the days they come public. What can you do? How about we stop participating in low-quality or high-risk IPOs? How about we, including you big money managers out there, tell them we don't want these deals at any price? That's about the only thing that will put a stop to these extremely suboptimal and ill-advised IPOs. Stick with credit. Tonight on our all-new American Greed, it's a $30 million house-flipping scam run by a reality TV star. But when his lies only unravel, his scheme gets canceled and an unwitting partner winds up dead. Don't miss it tonight at 10 only on CNBC. Okay, we got some equity offerings tonight. Funko, which is no, we, this is a good one. We like that. And Shopify, another we like, but we don't like to see big equity offerings. That's often a sign of too much supply, and I regard that as quite worrisome, even though I like Funko and I like Shopify. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow!